0: So good to see everybody in church uh, this weekend. It's good to see you in church every weekend, obviously, Um, but this is just a special time. I'm so glad everybody's here. If we haven't met before, maybe if it's your first time here, first time in a long time, uh, my name is Johnny, and I have the distinct pleasure of serving as the lead pastor for this worship community that we call The Well uh, at First Methodist Mansfield. So thank you uh, for being here and worshiping together with us. Uh, Hello, everybody up in the upstairs in The Well Cafe It is absolutely the most wonderful time of the year, and I don't know if you've already felt it. I have felt it, just coming onto campus, and uh, just the feel, and the look, and then the music this morning. Thank you so much. Uh, Bands here, band upstairs, I got to hear them uh, playing and rehearsing earlier. Just, there's so much talent in this church, uh, on our staff, and volunteers that help serve and lead us in worship. So... I just want to take a moment downstairs and upstairs to just thank them for all the preparation that they have done in leading us in worship. Thank y'all. It's a strange thing because they all start thinking about Christmas music in like September uh, and it's like 105 degrees outside and they're trying to think about Christmas music and what it's going to be like here and it's uh, it's kind of an awkward thing but it sure does pay off. Thank you so much to all of our our worship leaders uh, for leading us in that time. Uh, This week, we're beginning a brand new series that we are calling the most wonderful time of the year. It's the Christmas season, and we here at First Methodist Mansfield, along with everybody here, are just going to enjoy and embrace everything that the season brings. It's very easy for us in the church world to kind of pit like real Christmas versus like out there Christmas. But we believe that all Christmas... Is really speaking to the same thing, and we like to embrace all of it and, and celebrate all of it. So, I'm, I'm happy you're here. We're going to do that. Uh, before we go any further, though, I, I feel like um, I have a confession to make, and I'm hoping that this is a safe place to make that. Um, Holly and I discussed this. We felt like it was, um, we were comfortable enough to share this with everybody here uh, this morning. We've actually been celebrating Christmas since the beginning of November. <laughs> I can't tell you how good that feels to get that off my chest. Whew, it's true. The Christmas music and the movies have been blasting in the Brower household uh, since the beginning of November, and we're not even sorry about it. Like, it's, it's been awesome. Our house has been decorated inside and out since a week before Thanksgiving. Uh, yep, yeah, we're those neighbors. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, some people, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's many of you in here, Feel very um, firmly about Christmas is confined between Thanksgiving and Christmas Day, right? Like that's your are kind of purists in that sense. You know, you want to follow the the traditional calendar, and I just want to set you in, a, in your place real quick. Like if you want to be if you want to be a true purist, right? This is Advent. This isn't even Christmas yet. Christmas comes after Christmas, right, in the church calendar. And so there's really only about five Advent songs. All the songs you've been singing really aren't appropriate yet. So if you really want to get down to it. Uh, We're just going to go all the way the other way, though. Uh, I don't follow the church calendar. Our family follows the Target calendar. (laughs) Christmas starts as soon as you move all the Halloween costumes out of the way. Like, now it's Christmas time. Thanksgiving's like a pregame, right? Like that's that's what it's it's been Christmas time. That's what we do. Uh, I know many of you are judging me right now, and that's okay. I used to be one of you. I feel you. Uh, I used to be that person that was really strict about it. But I just came to this realization that there's too much. There's too much Christmas. There's too much music. There's too there are too many movies. There are too many lights to see. There's too much to get in in that small amount of time. And this is my favorite time of the year. It's the most wonderful time of the year. So by golly, we're just going to do it, right? We're going to do it. But either way, whether you're a purist or you've had your Christmas tree up all year long because you just decided not to take it down, whatever it is, it is the most wonderful time of the year. We want to celebrate that. It's the lights. It's the music. It's the movies. it's It's the look. It's the feel. It's everything. It's the traditions. We hope to embrace all of that because we believe that all of that points to the greatest gift the world has ever received, The birth of Jesus. So you'll notice around campus plenty of ways to celebrate that. If you got out here, you notice that uh, unique to the chapel venue uh, is we have uh, some hot chocolate. Uh, down here. So I hope everybody upstairs, can, uh, come get your hot chocolate before church. Uh, we have special things going on uh, upstairs as well and over in the sanctuary building. The whole place is going to be decked out for Christmas and celebrating each and every week. So I hope you're here to do that with us. But we also recognize that, that the holiday season isn't always uh, holly jolly for, for everyone. For one reason or another, um, these times can be particularly hard for you or your, or your family Often, what is happening around us during the holiday season reminds us that there are problems in this world that we just can't fix. That there are people in this world that we cannot control. Many of you, many of them, share uh, a family with you, and uh, you may know them. Uh, it reminds us that there are expectations that we cannot meet. That there are hurts that we cannot heal on our own. Often, the holiday season can be a painful reminder of some of those. Things for us. That's why, in, in an effort to celebrate this season, it's, it's not just the look and the feel of what's happening around us. Christmas isn't just about what's happening right now, but Christmas is really about what has happened for us. It's not just what's happening, it is what ha- is, has happened. And so, as a part of that, we're going to be looking over the next four weeks uh, this, as, we, as we walk toward Christmas Day, we're going to be looking at four particular words. Um, that are really at the heart of the Christmas story, that are really at the heart of the season that we celebrate year in and year out, the the true gifts of Christmas. And you've already heard the first word that we're celebrating today, and that word is hope. very important word for us today. So if you have your Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn to Isaiah chapter 2 and to Matthew chapter 1. If you brought your own Bible with you today and you're wondering where Isaiah is, if you just turn to the middle of your Bible, you're going to be pretty close. You're probably in the Psalms area, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Isaiah. It's pretty big books, like 66 chapters. You should be able to find it there And Matthews at the beginning of the New Testament. If you do not have a Bible with you, we have blue ones in both spaces available for you. Uh, And we're going to put page numbers to find those those two scriptures uh, on the screen. You can see that there. So, uh, we're going to start with Isaiah first, though. Now, if you're not familiar with Isaiah, Isaiah is a prophet and probably the most prolifically quoted uh, figure, biblical figure, throughout Scripture. Isaiah's quoted a lot. Very important book of the Bible. Now, it can be kind of hard to understand, but it's incredibly important. Now, uh, I've talked about this a lot, but just for those of you that are new, uh, if you don't know what a prophet is, a prophet is not somebody who tells the future. That's not what a prophet does. We often mistake prophet for uh, a fortune teller or uh, somebody who tells the future. But rather what a prophet does is analyze and interpret current events with a theological lens in order to place their situation within the context of God's purposes and God's promises. Now, that was a lot. Let me say that again. What a a prophet does is analyze and interpret current events, their current cultural climate, where they are. They analyze that with a theological lens in order to place that properly within God's purposes and God's promises. And not only that, they do that so that they can then challenge the people to act in ways that are consistent with those promises and those purposes. See, in Isaiah, in this particular passage, he's, he's addressing the constant conflict that is taking place uh, with the Hebrew people in Israel and in Judah. They're looking around, and there's constantly other nations coming in and, and trying to conquer and, and take over. There's conquest happening. There's constant war. There's constant conflict. There's constant infighting between them about what it means to be faithful and what it means to to interact with, with other cultures and other religions. And, and there's a lot of conflict there, and, and Isaiah is seeing this. And there's a lot of worry and a lot of doubt about the future For God's people. But what Isaiah seeks to address here throughout all of his writings, throughout his 66 chapters, but especially here right off the bat, is he wants to remind people of the greatness and the goodness of God and where their faith and their hope should lie. So let's look together. Uh, Isaiah chapter 2, starting in verse 1. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths." The law will go out from Zion. The word of the Lord out from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation. Nor will they train for war anymore. What Isaiah wants to do right off the bat is... Remind people that there is this better day. You don't see it now. You might not feel it now, but there is this better day. A lot of what prophets t- t- try to do for people that are in despair, prophets are oft- often pop up when people are in crisis. And what they want to do is establish for them whose world this really is. Because often for these people of faith, it feels like it's the Assyrians' world. Or it's the Babylonians' world. Or it's the Persians' world. Or later on, it's, it's the Greeks or, or the Romans. It's their world. The world belongs to them because they conquered it. And what prophets seek to do is remind people that who this world actually belongs to. Who is actually sovereign. And it is God. And so he does that here by showing us a picture of a mountain with God's temple on top of that mountain. And it is the highest of mountains. And all of the nations, even these nations that you are warring with, even these nations that seem to hate you, even these nations that seek to conquer you, all nations will flock to that mountain and to that temple and sing praises to God. And not only that, this constant conflict that you're feeling, there will come a day when we will not need our swords, we will not need our shields, we will not need our spears. In fact, you can turn those things into garden tools. Because all you will need them for is to help harvest the growth that will be taking place on the earth. What a magnificent picture of this better day, of this hope, of this expectation that Isaiah has and that he wants to remind the people of. And it's not just Isaiah. Ezekiel uh, describes it as hearts of stone being softened. Malachi describes it as families being reunited. Joel describes it as the spirit of God being poured out on all humanity. Amos says that God's justice will roll out onto the earth like a river. And Daniel, Daniel the Lansdowne, Daniel, that prophet, envisioned this these beast-like violent empires overcome by a simple unarmed human being. Calls it one like the Son of Man. Which sounds familiar because that's what they call Jesus throughout Scripture. Isaiah's vision of a better day is not only his own. Every all these prophets see this and they want to remind people of faith, of of whose world this is. But Isaiah's descriptions of a better day are so inspiring that Jesus and his early followers quoted Isaiah more than anybody else. More than anybody else. And the lesson that these prophets teach us is that our faith is not an idle faith, but our faith is expectant. Our faith is expectant. It doesn't, it's just not empty belief. It expects things. And, and, and Isaiah expresses this expectation here in chapter two. It's not an ent- entitled expectation. It's not an expectation of like, God, well, I have did my part. You got to hold up to your end of the bargain. It's not that type of expectation. It is an expectation. It's a, it's a faith that eagerly awaits and expects the completion of God's creative and redemptive work. It has hope. That's what we call this expectation is, is hope. And if I'm honest, the book, the whole Bible is really a book full of hope. That's, it, it starts, our hope begins with this foundation that is laid that there is a creator God. Did it happen in six days or six million days? I don't know. But there was a creator. And he created things good. So we have this good creator watching over a creation And he cares for. Our hope begins there. And we see it throughout Scripture that even as that creation is corrupted, even when there's conflict, that there is a God that is always working. There's hope. But waiting on hope is hard, especially in the midst of crisis. So what is the source of this hope for Isaiah? What is the source of the hope for Ezekiel? Where does this hope come from? How will this hope be realized? How will we be affirmed in our faith as we wait patiently for the Lord? Where will our help come from? Well, this brings us to Matthew. Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 through 23. Now, this Christmas, when you sit down to read uh, the Christmas story, not a Christmas story, the movie, not Peter Billingsley and... Shoot your eye out, kid. But the Christmas story, the nativity, the birth narrative of Jesus. When you sit down to read that with your family this year, there's really only two of the four gospels that tell it. So if you sit down, and you open up Mark, thinking, "Oh, Mark, it's a gospel. It's the story of Jesus. You're going to be really disappointed because Mark just skips all that, <laughs> right?" And John, John gets a little confusing. He gets real theological and philosophical at the beginning. It's not the narrative, you know. The two, Matthew and Luke, actually tell the birth narrative that you're probably familiar with, and probably Luke is the one that you're most familiar with. It's the one that uh, that tells most vividly the story that we tell at Christmas time. But they're both important. Luke shares mostly from Mary's perspective. Uh, And it's full of hope and anticipation. Sure, there's fear and anxiety, but it's mostly anticipation. As Mary carries Jesus, and they await this time when the Son of God is going to be born. It's a a beautiful, beautiful narrative, and we'll look more uh, at that as the weeks go on. But we're going to look at Matthew today, and Matthew is told from Joseph's perspective. Now, Matthew and Luke didn't team up and go, okay, I'm going to write it from Joseph's. You write it from Mary's, right? And then it'll be great, and we'll put it in this thing called the Bible, and people will love it, right? It'll be two different. That's not how it worked. This just happened to be this way, right? They happened to focus on one or the other. Matthew focuses on Joseph, and Joseph's is a little more of a sobering account. It's not quite full of the anticipation and excitement and joy of Mary's. See, for Joseph, this was really complicated. He was engaged to be married to Mary. That was weird. Married to Mary. Uh, but when she turns up pregnant, and he's like, okay, wait a minute. I mean, like any guy, like wait, wait a minute. Like, this is and, and in their culture, I mean, it, we've read about this before. Adultery was grounds for death in many circumstances. Joseph had this beef, but Joseph also wanted to be careful here. And so what we're about to read is is right after this moment that Joseph finds out that Mary was to be the mother of Jesus, and he decides that he's going to just divorce her quietly, he's going to back away quietly, good luck to you, I'm not going to follow through with this possibly kill you thing, right, we're just going to mosey on and we'll we'll move on from here. That's what he has decided to do, and yet he is visited by, by the angel of the Lord, Uh, chapter one, verse 20 of Matthew. But after he had considered this, what Joseph's plan was, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill What the Lord had said through the prophet, the prophet Isaiah, uh, in chapter 7 of Isaiah, what the prophet Isaiah had said, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. We see through the eyes of Joseph uh, the purposes that God has and the promises that God is fulfilling through this small child. And Joseph is going to play an important part of that. And what Matthew tells us here in this small little section of Scripture is so huge. Matthew gives us these two names that describe what the small child will be. The two names of Jesus, which for Matthew fully express the meaning of the gospel story and the source of our hope. The child is to be named Jesus a pretty common name back then. It was actually the Greek version of the Hebrew name Joshua, Yeshua, which means God saves. You know Joshua from the Old Testament stories. If you don't, there's a book called Joshua. uh, But it comes right after the story of Moses. Moses leads his people out of uh, Egypt, right, out of slavery into freedom. But the freedom that Moses leads them into on their way to the promised land, it goes through the desert, So when they cross out of Egypt, they spend the next forever in the desert trying to figure out how to live in this place. And so they wander around the desert, and it's Joshua that eventually leads them into the promised land. So Moses was the liberator, and then Joshua is the one that saves them from the wilderness and takes them into the promised land. That's the important of the name Joshua. And that's what they want to establish with Jesus. It's a common name, a common person, but a, a, a sense of what Jesus is here to do. But the next name that they give is not a common name. It's a Hebrew name, Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So this person that has come to save is right here among you. If you put all this together in a very simple sentence, and this kind of sums up the Gospel of Matthew. This is what Matthew wants to tell you. If you read all of Matthew, this is his thesis is that Jesus is the saving presence of God. The saving presence of God is embodied in Jesus, and this is the source of our hope, that God is present with his people. He doesn't intervene from a distance, but he's always active and always with us. And secondly, God's actions are always aimed at rescuing us, at rescuing us, redeeming our brokenness, healing us, and leading us into places of new life. And that's embodied in this small child, this baby, Jesus. The names of Jesus highlight the promise and purpose of God to be with us always and to redeem us from our sin and brokenness. This is the hope that we celebrate at Christmas time. It's very real and it is very alive. I love how these two names one is a completely unique name to Jesus, God is with us, and one that is completely common and God saves there's there's this total unique power this this unique existence in this person of Jesus but it takes the form of something we are so familiar with each other a simple human baby that came to show us God's love and saving power in a real tangible present way and so, when we gather at Christmas time, when we gather in our churches, when we gather in our homes, when we sing Christmas carols, when we watch Christmas movies, we are reminded of the hope that we have in Jesus, no matter the circumstance. The hope that springs abundant from the most unlikely and the most common of places. It's here. And this hope, This hope that we have is the fuel for our faith. Hope. Think about it. Hope is the fuel for our faith. What would our faith be without hope? If there's no hope, then what's the point? Without hope, faith just becomes some empty belief system, some arbitrary set of rules that we want to think about. At best, it's wishful thinking. But hope is so much more than that. Hope is more than wishful thinking. It's more than a guess. It's more than a gamble. It's more than cheap optimism. Hope is a trust and a confidence in the greatness and goodness of God. It's a trust and a confidence in the purposes and the promises of God. It's a trust and a confidence that no matter what we face, both good and bad, that God is who God says he is. And God owns this world. That's what hope is. But it's a funny thing. Hope is a funny thing. Because to have hope is to recognize what we lack. It's to recognize that we don't have what we long for. It's a recognition that we are missing something, yet it anticipates what is possible. It recognizes that we lack, but it anticipates what is possible. I I think Christian hope, the hope that we have found in Christ, the hope that we have in God, that this hope really stretches our human language to its absolute limit. If you think about the way we use the word hope, it often means wish. But Christian hope, the way, the, the way we understand it through scripture, that hope is not just a wish, it's not just a gamble, it's not just a guess. That hope really stretches our human language to its absolute limit because we can barely conceive of hope in our own personal lives looking at ourselves and, and understanding what God's best might be, what fullness of life might be for us, we can barely conceive of that ourselves and how we might get there, let alone thinking on it, of it on a cosmic level. When we look at our world, and we see all the good that's taking place in the world, but we also see all the bad and how complex that bad is. And we look at that and we are overwhelmed by the thought that that is somehow going to get better. That, that somehow God is going to work his purposes into that. Somehow God's promise to make all things new is going to be fulfilled. It's overwhelming to think about it. About how that might happen. And where and I'm supposed to be a part of that? Hope can be so overwhelming. It just stretches the limits of our, of our language. We can barely conceive of it. But here's the exciting part about hope. The thrill of hope, if you will, from the song. The thrill of hope is that the best is possible and the best is inevitable. It's both possible and inevitable. It is the good news to this weary world. This world that is so tired of conflict, this world that is tired of division, this world that is tired of being confused about where they should stand and what issues they should speak out on and which ones they shouldn't, a world that is tired of fighting, a world that longs for rest in God, that longs for God's peace, that longs to be joyful, that longs to learn how to love each other, love their neighbors, because they know that's what they're called to do, but it's so hard. The thrill of hope is knowing that it is possible and it is inevitable, and that hope is grounded in the greatness and goodness of God. And not only that, we can trust God's work, we can trust God's promises, we can trust trust God's greatness, because when we have that hope and when we are grounded in that, it gives birth to our own action. Think about it, do do people really want to act when they're in the midst of despair? If If we are hopeless, does that inspire action? No, hope is what inspires our action. And the beautiful part about this is that it inspires us into action, not because it all depends on me, or it all depends on you, but that God is going to fulfill God's purposes and we are invited to be a part of it. We are inspired into action as part of God's purposes and God's work. I love the Christmas season. I love the fun that comes with the movies and watching our favorite Christmas movies, counting them down, making the list. I love thinking about the gifts that I might give to those that I love. I love thinking about the ways I might serve other people. I love the music. I love now that we have two stations that play Christmas 24 hours a day. It is the most wonderful time of the year, but not simply because what is what's happening around us, but because what has happened that foretells to what will happen. Christmas is about hope. Jesus, the Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, our Savior, was born at Christmas. God's saving presence has come and is with us. And hope is alive. Hope is alive because hope was born that night. Hope was born that night, but this world tried to kill hope. That hope felt dangerous to to some people. And this world tried to kill hope, but it couldn't. Hope rose again, and hope is still alive, and it can be alive in you, and it can be alive in me as well. I can't wait for the rest of this series. I hope you make it a point to be here each and every week so as we explore not only the joys of Christmas, but each of these four gifts of Christmas that come with this season, that we might embrace them fully, each and every one of us, so we might bring this spirit of Christmas out into the world and begin to transform it and bring about God's better version of it. But as we close our time today, I want to just share with you one of my favorite quotes um, about Christmas. It comes from one of my favorite uh, people to read in, in, the, in the faith sphere. His name is Frederick Beekner. He was a pastor and a poet, an incredible wordsmith. I really wish he was just writing all my sermons or I could just read his sermons forever because they're so eloquent and beautiful. But I want to share this one last thing with you and then, and then we'll pray and then I'm going to dismiss this afterwards. Here's what Frederick Beekner says. What keeps the wild hope of Christmas alive year after year in a world notorious for dashing all hopes is the haunting dream That the child born that day may yet be born again, even in us. What keeps the wild hope of Christmas alive year after year in a world notorious for dashing all hopes is the haunting dream that the child born that day may yet be born again, even in us. Let's pray. Holy God, we thank you for your promise of all things being created new, God, for your promise through your son Jesus to rescue us from those things that that plague us, God, from fear, from doubt, from worry, God, from our own self-destructive behavior, to rescue us from those things that are outside of our control, God, that we suffer from, we thank you for your promise to rescue us and we thank you for your promise to always be with us while we wait. And we are never alone because you are with us, God. We confess now, God, that we often have a tendency to place our hope in things other than you. We place our hope in other people. We place our hope in things. We place our hope in money. We place our hope in, in the economy. We place our hope in so many things, God. But it is only you that own this world. It is only you that created all of this. And it is only you, God, that can redeem it. We thank you for that promise. And we pray, God, that during this season, as we wait anxiously to celebrate that day when your son is born, God, that we live into that promise. We live into that anticipation by sharing the spirit of hope with this weary world we do all of this because of your son, Jesus. Amen. It's been an absolute joy to be in worship with you. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad we get to celebrate Christmas together week in and week out. I can't wait to see all of you uh, each and every week of this, uh, of this Christmas season as we seek to, to blow it out and celebrate it in a big way. I want to invite you to do one thing uh, before we leave. Um, We have over in the atrium, which is in the big sanctuary building, so if you just go straight out these doors and then into the next building on the right, uh, we have angel trees there. I know many of you have already stopped by and participated, um, but we have uh, a few more, um, about 100 or so left um, up on that tree, that I want to invite you as a family to go over there, uh, find a name that speaks to your heart, grab that, uh, and then share the gift of Christmas uh, with a child Uh, in need this one right here uh, her name is Melanie she's three years old Um, all she wants for Christmas is a jacket or a sweater uh, maybe a bicycle uh, some frozen dolls and a helmet Um, just a beautiful time uh, for a family that is working very hard to celebrate Christmas together and you get to be a part of that sharing hope of the goodness of people the joy of Christmas. So uh, I hope that you stop by and consider picking one of these up. We'll return all the gifts uh, next week here in the sanctuary, so you can just bring it with you to church next week and drop it off. Uh, And then uh, you can also inquire about other ways to help serve in that, whether it's through distribution or organizing or whatever. But I hope you consider to do that as part of your family tradition at Christmas time. Would you now please, in both spaces, stand and receive this benediction as we go? As we light the candle of hope in our midst, uh, in the midst of our worship, I pray that this light goes with you out into the world to share the thrill that we find in the hope of God through Jesus Christ with this weary world. Go in the name of Christ and go in peace. Amen. Amen.